Welcome to Think About It with me, Victoria Azarenka. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode with Lewis House. Lewis is a New York Times bestselling author and the host of the hugely successful podcast, The School of Greatness. In this episode, we covered more about difficulty being in a public eye where you sometimes portray different personalities and about vulnerability when on the outside people only think of you as a strong person without any emotions and feelings. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this one. Lewis, thank you for being on my show. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you. It's not your first time doing <laughs> this kind of show. I watched a lot of your a lot of your show and interviews. So my type of show is not really about interviewing. It's about getting to know people. I'm always been fascinated by people about their stories, where they come from, how they make it, where they are, why why are they the way they are. I'm always been fascinated by that. I think we kind of share a little bit of uh, of that. <laughs> we have that a bit on, in common. I wanted to start maybe like from the beginning. I know you grew up in Ohio. You didn't have the easiest upbringing. So maybe tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I always had a big dreams as a kid, but I just didn't have the capability, the resources, the community where I felt like I had the ability to thrive. Uh, when I was... When I was, I, I like to go in deep right away. So hopefully it's okay with you. When I was five, yeah. I, was, I was sexually abused by a man that kind of shaped my psychology, I think, for most of my life until about seven years ago when I started to heal, started to learn how to forgive, started to learn how to kind of shed that past that I felt was holding me back. My brother went to prison when I was eight years old. He sold drugs to an undercover cop when he was about 18, 19, went to prison for four and a half years. Uh, at eight. So as an eight-year-old, I'd been sexually abused and my brother was in prison and I felt like I didn't have any friends. I was struggling in school. Um, they almost held me back a grade, but my parents decided to keep me in the same uh, class with the, the, the age range that I was in, but I was just in the bottom of my class. It was hard for me to read, write, comprehend, remember anything. Um, later found out that I just have dyslexia and that's just, no one really knew what to call it then. They just put me in special needs classes. And when I turned 13, I ended up going to a, a summer camp in the summer where I met some kids that were very positive, that were very friendly, that had great attitudes and were hardworking. And I was hanging out with kids in Ohio that were stealing, that were doing bad things that just were up to no good. There wasn't really a lot of positivity. And when I went to this summer camp, I met these kids and I said, I want to be around this type of energy at 13 because I saw myself doing more and more bad things and not being proud of myself, not being, uh, not loving myself. And, and I just said, I need a change. And so these, a group of these kids went to a specific school um, in another state about seven hour drive away from me that I met. And I begged my parents after I came home from this summer camp, I said, please send me to this school. I want to get out of Ohio. As much as I love where I'm from, I was like, I need a different environment. And usually kids get sent away for being bad. I begged my family to send me away. So it's kind of the other way around, but they, um, they didn't want to send me away. But every day that summer I said, please send me to this school. 
eventually I convinced them. I went to the school and it was probably the greatest decision I ever made because it was a private boarding school. It was strict discipline, but it gave me structure. It gave me positive mm -hmm. attitude and kids that were just doing more positive things in their life. Mm -hmm. and the whole goal was to become something greater than where I'd come from. And I always mm -hmm. wanted to be a professional athlete like yourself and mm -hmm. um, went off, you know, doing some good things in college sports and then playing arena football, which is a, a step below the NFL, mm -hmm. got, in, got injured in my rookie season and the dream was kind of over to play professional sports again. And uh, that's kind of uh, the beginning of my story until I found handball in 2008. Were you in the Olympics in 2008? Eight, yes, I was there. So I was on my sister's couch after I got injured playing football. I, had a, I broke my wrist right here, it was in a cast, and I was on my sister's couch it's the summer of 2008. I had no money in the bank. I'm dirt poor. I'm living on student loans from, from debt. Um, and I was watching the Olympics. It's always the, the Olympics are always like the greatest time of every four years for me. It's just like every kid's dream is to go to the Olympics, probably for you. Was that your first Olympics? That was my first Olympics, yeah. Must have been incredible. I was on tourist mode. I went to the opening ceremony. I stayed at the village. Um, I didn't perform well there. Uh, but, <laughs> but I had the best experience of, of Olympics. Best two weeks of your life, probably, right? <laughs> It actually was only one week because tennis tennis event is only one week and we always have the tournaments right after. But you know what I said, my next my next Olympics, I'm going to stay throughout the whole. Because in 2012, I had no experience of Olympic Games. I did not go to the opening ceremony. I did not stay in the village. I stayed at the Wimbledon. And I played every single day because I played singles and mixed doubles. And you I got did the bronze, didn't you? I won bronze and gold. It's incredible. So, and then I flew the next day to another tournament and I was so exhausted and I was in the hotel room saying, why in the hell am I here? Why didn't I stay and go and like watch? And then I promised to myself that the next Olympics I'm playing, I'm staying for the whole event. I'm going to watch all other sports because my first Olympics, I got to meet all the other athletes and it was a cool experience because it's like i'm not gonna play 10 olympic games in my life i'm not like some of athletes who uh you know who can do that throughout the career hopefully i'll get one more maybe two more which let's let's be a bit optimistic but were you in rio also or no i was not in rio i missed i missed rio because i was pregnant so it wasn't yeah. it was a it was a very good reason not to go sure. <laughs> But yeah, so that was uh, the Olympic Games is always special because where I come from, this was the main event all the time. It's the Summer Olympics, the Winter Olympics is the main event. That's something that was very um, suggested where I do well. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, everything else was, was great addition, but Olympics, I had to do well. It was, it was very strongly suggested. You're yes. representing the country. Yes. Yeah, it was for sure for, I would say for my country, it's the biggest um, accomplishment I could, I could have have for sure. Yeah, so yeah. My, my dream was always to be an Olympian, but I was never a good enough athlete in basketball. I played basketball, football, like all these sports, but I was just never good enough. And there was no Olympics in football. You played so, American football, right? American football, yeah. So you had no chance to make it to Olympics that way. <laughs> no, no chance to make the Olympics. And so I remember I was sitting on my sister's couch watching the Olympics 
in 2008. You're there. You're experiencing it for the first time. You're having yeah. the time of your life. Yeah. Uh, your country is like praising you for being there, just showing up. And I remember thinking on my sister's couch, what would it take for me to get out of this cast I was in, the surgery, to get back into training mode to compete for something? I'm looking at every obscure sport. Like, I'll even do Winter Olympics. I don't even care, even though I don't want to be in the cold. But like, whatever, losing, freaking, I don't care, archery, something. Give me a sport that I can play for a chance to go to the Olympics. Then something interesting happened. 2008, I'm watching Michael Phelps at whatever, midnight in, in Ohio, in USA, winning medal after medal. And then I'm just up all night because I'm just watching the recap of what's happening today. 3 a.m. rolls around in Ohio, and I see a highlight of a sport that I'd never seen in my life called team handball. I don't know if you've ever seen handball. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. It's big in Eastern Europe, actually. It's like uh, it's in Serbia. Huge, yeah. In America, yeah. no one's ever heard of it. No one's ever seen it. No one's ever played it. No one knows what it is. I say handball to people. They think of me hitting a ball against a wall, kind of like a racquetball. They have no yeah. clue. But in Europe, yeah. it's a big sport. And I'm watching this, and I'm seeing these athletes flying through the air, throwing the ball, just scoring, yeah. like just crushing each other. And I was just like, where's this sport been my entire life? This is what I was made to do. I'm tall. I can throw. <laughs> I used to be a pitcher in baseball, so I can throw 85-mile-hour okay. fastball. Like, uh, this is my – I was a basketball player through college. This is my sport. Yeah. And I said to myself – I'm going to go to the Olympics and team handball for the USA. And I start doing research online. There's no information online. It's the most unorganized sport in America with the, the yeah. Olympic committee. I do research. Yeah. I can't find any information of like, is there a team? Are there tryouts? Where do they train? Nothing. For a year and a half, I can't find information. But I find that there are club teams throughout USA, kind of teams yeah. where they get together, they don't get paid, and they just play once a yeah. week. Yeah. And I am broke. I have no money sleeping on my sister's couch. And I see that there is a team in New York City that was the national champions for the last couple of years for the USA Club Handball League, right? And I try to email them. I try to call people. I can't get a response from anyone. But they have a yeah. website with an address of where they practice one time a week. Yeah. And I said, when I make enough money... I am going to move to New York City. I'm going to show up to practice. I'm going to train and learn the sport. I'm going to make the USA national team, and we're going to qualify for the Olympics. Fast forward a year and a half later, I build a business, start making enough money, save my money, move to New York City. I still can't get a hold of anyone from the U.S. Olympic Committee, from handball clubs around the country, nothing. Mm -hmm. And I say, I have to go for myself to see if there's even a chance that I could make this team, if I could even go to the Olympics, I have to go so I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. And I moved to New York City. I show up at this weird location of some elementary school gym. And I walk in there and I say, hi, my name's Lewis Howes. I'm here to learn how to play handball. And I want to make the Olympics. That's literally what I said when I walked in there. Now, you have to understand something, Victoria. You are, you're from what country originally? I know you traveled all over the place. but From Belarus. Belarus. Is that next to Serbia? That is, uh, that Media is west Russia. of Russia. And that is east of Poland. 
Yes. And okay. like in, very close to Baltic area. The Baltic area is where all, so I walk into this gym. There are 20 guys from all over Eastern Europe, right? Mm -hmm. Every country you can think of speaking 12 different languages. <laughs> I'm the only American that walks into this place in America yeah. to, to, to say that's on this team. And they're all laughing yeah. at me and speaking in all their different languages and laughing at me. And they're yeah. like, go home. And I'm like, no, I'm here to like, teach me. I'm here to learn. Yeah. And they did not like me. And then they eventually were like, okay, we'll, we'll teach this funny little American some, some moves. Yeah. And I showed up every week for the next nine months. Nine months later, I got selected on the USA men's national team. Went to my first tournament in Argentina mm -hmm. to, pay, to play in the Pan Am Championships mm -hmm. and became hooked. And this was in, this was nine years ago. And I've mm -hmm. just been showing up for the last nine years, traveling the world as a side hobby to, mm -hmm. to try to get better at handball. And um, yeah, the whole goal was to try to make the Olympics. The goal was that we get the, the U.S. gets the Olympics in 2016. That didn't that, happen. Yeah, but that's what I saw in 2028. It's, you're yes. We haven't qualified for handball since 1996 to the Olympics because they only yeah. take one country, all of North and South America, they only take one country to the Olympics, yeah. and you have to win the Pan American Games to qualify. Yeah. So we don't have a professional league here. All the guys yeah. who play on the USA team are playing over Europe, and then they come over here, um, but they don't play together that much. So yeah. it has been a challenge uh, playing with the USA team over the last nine years because – there's no funding, there's no organization, there's no pro league, all this stuff. And the competition in South America, they have professional leagues and they, they play this all the time. So we, we're competitive for a half, but then people just pull away with skills. So yeah. it's, been a, it's been a dream that I've been chasing for a long time, but it just hasn't happened yet. So 2028, I'll be old then. It's, it's amazing um, to, um, yeah, to kind of hear about like, the drive that that you have to to do the sport and it it's sometimes you know fascinates because you've been an athlete for longer it's not like you were you know in business and then you just went and do sports right. but what fascinates yeah. me a lot about people who haven't really done sports before and they're in business or something how much they love for example tennis like i i've never really really realized how many people love tennis and they play and they're like psychopath about it play like club matches and they start cheating in their matches and i'm like who are you people like what's how how does that make you so crazy the sport yeah so people, get, uh, people get competitive in the sport yeah. uh, i i've interviewed both uh, maria sharapova who's a friend of mine and novak djokovic mm -hmm. both are friends of mine i've interviewed them i actually played with both of them i don't know how to play tennis i've played maybe 10 times in my life but yeah. I did I did a practice with Maria one time a few years back, and then Novak was actually here for the um, uh, what's it called? Anyway, so he's here in March, yeah. a week before coronavirus hits. Yeah, and he and he's like, hey, come hang out for the day. Let's let's play some tennis. Like, let's do an interview for the show. I'd already had him on once a couple of years ago. He wanted me to come, have him back on, and I go, let's do like a decathlon of sports, like where yeah. you teach me a lesson in tennis. And then we yeah. played basketball, we did all soccer, did all these things. And I have this footage, I'm going to put it out there sometime soon, where I go, okay, yeah. Novak, just like lob it up to me easy. And I, I can't hit the ball back. I'm whipping it. He's putting like 70%. I go, okay. I finally get the hang of the reps. I'm like, all right, I got this. I go, give me your fastest serve. 
hardest, like, don't let me hit the ball back. And somehow, I don't know how I did this. I literally closed my eyes and just swing and hit a perfect hit back. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm never trying this again. <laughs> he was yeah. in shock, but I was like, that's, I'm one that's and done. what you okay. need sometimes. The things that you're not like, it's, it's just one, one shot. I, I recently played golf with, uh, with someone and I don't play golf at all. I just, just swing. And then we had a bet. Like you have to hit a hundred, a target, the hundred meters, hundred meters. Yeah, yeah. I hit the first one like out and he hits one, like not in the target, but close enough. And I was like, oh yeah, you won, you won. And he's like, no, no, go do it again, do it again, hit it. I said, I was like, oh, I'm going to make it. Bum, target. I hit it right on a hundred. And I said, I don't need to play anymore. Why? Why? Why do I need to play again? Some things is just like one time and 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 it's and it's done. That's that that chapter is over. <laughs> Let's move on to, to the next sport. It's been a journey of yeah nine years of of me running my business, but also every few months going to a training camp, going to another country to play yeah. tournaments. It's hard yeah. to keep up a dream alive while you have something full time as well. And I'm always like the last two guys selected on the team. I barely make it in just kind of by default because I'm like strong defense. Yeah. But these guys are young now. Everyone's 22, 23. I'm 37. It's getting harder yeah. and harder. And they just play all day. I play once every few months. So it's hard. But do you feel like that dream is keeping you kind of on edge for the rest of the things that, you, that you're doing? It, it has been, but I haven't played in a year and a half because of coronavirus and because we haven't had tournaments. Like the USA okay. has tournaments, they keep getting delayed. So yeah. it's hard to, and, I, and 2028 is so far away. It's, well, it's, yeah, this year has been long. This year has been long, so. Two Olympics until the potential for me to go to the Olympics. Let me go back a little bit to your, to your childhood because I've, um, also, learn you were talking about your brother that, you know, uh, he went to prison. And do you feel like at a point he was like an example to you what not to do? Yeah, I mean, we would go visit him almost every weekend in the prison. Mm -hmm. It's about a two and a half yeah. hour drive away from where we lived. And this, you just shouldn't have to go to a prison as an eight year old every weekend yeah. and see what yeah. you see. So for me, I had to kind of grow up pretty fast in terms of mm -hmm. being there and hearing the stories of what's happening in prison. It, it terrified me. I was like, I never yeah. want to go to prison. Never. Yeah. So when I started yeah. to kind of act out and do bad things and when I was kind of 10, 11, 12, I realized like, okay, this is not the life that I want. I can't get away mm -hmm. from this stuff. And I don't feel good about myself when I do something bad. And so that's when I just made the decision, like, I'm going to try to improve my life. I'm going to go down a path of positivity, a path of connecting with the right friends who are doing better things that inspire me. I started doing this at 13 because I just knew the other outcome wasn't going to be positive. If I went down the track that my brother did, it wasn't going to be positive. Now, he got out yeah. in about four and a half years on good behavior. He's since then transformed his life and done a lot of amazing things. But it took him going to prison to learn the hard way uh, yeah. and kind of pay his dues. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was tough. It was challenging. Yeah, I think at like the, the age of, you know, when you're eight, nine, that's where I kind of started to play tennis myself. And then I, um, you know, you, you were talking that you kind of felt lonely. You had no friends. 
Um, and I remember myself, I, I wouldn't say like I didn't really have friends because I was around kids all the time in tennis and stuff. But I felt really lonely because my parents really couldn't afford to travel with me. So I was always traveling with somebody else's parents. So I, would, I always felt like a bit on outside, you know, like even though I'm around people, I'm around this and that, it was, it was always kind of tough. And I grew up... I went to school from first grade to fourth grade to kind of rich kids school. We don't really have, we didn't really have like private school, but it was the closest to a private school where all the wealthy kids were. And I was, it was me and two other kids who were poor kids, you know, growing up in school. And it was like really tough. And I felt always like, not that I don't belong. I never felt like I don't belong there, but I was, they you kind of always feel like yeah. I can't connect, you know, and 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 it was interesting feeling. And my mom just told me this story. I don't I don't even remember how it happened. About three days ago, she told me about this story when I was in school, and some kids were like teasing me, like, "Oh, my my, my shoes or something wasn't nice or whatever," and. And she said that the teacher came up to her and told her after school that I went to this kid and who was teasing me and he said, Dada, you can't do this, you can't do whatever. And I said, well, too bad your daddy can't buy you any brain. <laughs> so so that's the, yeah, like too bad they can't buy you brain because it's, you know, it's one thing that, that you won't be able to buy in your life. Um, so my mom wow. just told me this thing and I was like, okay, that, I think that kind of mentality, you know, and that quickness kind of shaped me on, on being, you know, first of all competitive and knowing like, I don't want to feel like that. And when you were talking about, I want a different environment for myself, I wanted to kind of, I'm going to make something of myself that I don't have to feel, you know, less, uh, you know, than other kids. And it was, it was more about like achieving your vision, you know, and you talk about like, oh, I knew I wanted to have like a positive, you know, more positive environment. And for me, I feel like, especially where I grew up, there was never th a conversation about, you know, feelings and emotions and... Uh, Eastern Europe you know, doesn't do that? No, no, no. Positivity. We don't talk about those. It's like just unheard of. And... Yeah. And it was so hard to learn. And once I start traveling and you see different, you know, different environments, you are, uh, you're so closed up that it's kind of like really, really hard to open. And when you feel lonely, it's even harder to open and learn the word. And um, I always yeah. felt that, you know, I wanted to kind of express more and stuff, but you don't know that. And you kind of go off of energy because you don't necessarily maybe have that awareness. Nobody taught you that awareness of how to process your, your thing. So it's interesting that you say it like 13, you kind of knew a little bit more like where you wanted to go. Cause for me, it was like, uh, you know, a, a feeling and I've had a really tough, you know, growing up myself as well, where sometimes you feel like, why um, why is this happening to a kid? Like you should be, you know, enjoying your life and you look at other kids and they're happy and stuff and, and you just like, you don't, you don't know why difficult things happen to you and you don't know how to process that. So it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's very hard to, uh, and I hope because, you know, like I'm learning all this stuff. I'm a, I'm a mom now 
and how do I help my kid to navigate, you know, those things later in life? Because kids are tough. Like, I remember myself, like, kids are so difficult. Like, they're so mean sometimes <laughs> where you're just like, damn. Like, <laughs> because, like, where you adults, like, we get a little bit of filters, you know, and you like, okay, maybe. Say the truth. How do you feel the moment? <laughs> yeah, meter, like, goes up. Do you think you'd be where you're at right now and Grand Slam, the Olympics, all these different things, number one in the world for many, how many weeks was that? 50-something weeks? 52? Yeah. 52. Who's counting, right? Yeah, 52. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, do you think you'd be where you're at without going to that school? Oh, no chance. Like, I don't think any of the things that, that I've been through in my life, I would be here because I wouldn't learn that lessons. Do I think, like, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want those things to happen? Yeah, I mean, you don't want those things to happen, but how do you learn? Like, if, if we talk about, like, you just said example of your brother, it took him going to prison, right, to learn the lesson and then transform. These little traumas build up, and we build walls and what I like to call masks. That's why I wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity because I developed so many masks where I was like, I'm going to, no one in the world is ever going to take advantage of me. I'm going to be so big, strong, and successful that they have to respect me. And anytime I felt taken advantage of, it was like I had to attack, I was in attack mode. I was in defense mm -hmm. mode and then I had to like make them wrong. And it only hurt me at the end of the day. You know, these yeah. little traumas hurt ourselves until we learn the emotional skills to manage chaos, overwhelm, hurt, upset. And once I started to, to study this and learn these tools, it allows me to have better intimacy in my relationship, allows me to be a better leader in my business, allows me to be a better athlete, all these different things, because I'm not in reaction mode. Yeah. Uh, I think tennis players are a great example, golfers and tennis players, because you guys are solo out there. And you can tell when the moment has power over the tennis player, when they are reactive, when they are powerless, they let everything get to them. I don't know if you've ever had yeah. these moments in the past where oh, like, no, I'm, 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 I'm that good. I've never, I've never experienced. <laughs> you probably, you see it with Novak. Novak became powerless. He got frustrated at the U.S. Open. He's yeah. hitting the ball a bunch of times, and then he hits someone, and then okay, you're out. Or he, sh he should have won the U.S. Open. He lost because he became powerless in that moment. Now he's a great person and he just had a moment, but it's like until we truly learn the skill to not allow ourselves to react, then some, someone else has power over us until we learn this. Yeah. And I realized it took me until I was about 30 years old until I started to heal all the past trauma, anything from the past that hurt me or upset me or any moment, big or small, that's when I started to gain my power back. And I'm not perfect. I still react, but I, I'm noticing it much quicker and it allows me to move through it better. Well, I, I completely agree with you. It took me um, 31, you know, a, a bit before my 31st birthday to kind of understand, um, you know, just just who, who you are, because there are things that happen to you in life and um, that... Part of that takes identity of you, you know, and you kind of identify with the things that happen to you that they're who you are. And I think that, you know, you call them masks and and it was very interesting. I've, I, I watched one of your uh, interviews about those that you had so many different ones, different masks. You know, you had an athlete mask, the business mask and, and, and stuff. And were you ever like 
confused which one to put on because it's a hard work right when you when yeah. it's when you when you don't know how to be yourself which is you know i feel like at moments we know who we are and then something happens and it's like okay that thing identify me as as that now and you're not really connected with what makes you happy and it takes a long time to understand that it sounds so simple but it's so hard to understand which i feel yeah. like a thought you know is so quick but the emotion is catching up to you like in a, a while it takes a while sure. to realize that so yeah were you ever like confused w with your masks i was never thinking like what mask am i going to put on today to try to like look good in front of people i think for mm -hmm. a period of time i was an athlete and i made that my identity and yeah. my self-worth was attached to my identity as an athlete, getting results, winning, being successful, accomplishing. So my self-worth was connected to that mask. And when our self-worth is connected to something on the outside of us, when we put all of our confidence and self-worth and value into something that's outside of us, when it crumbles, then our self-worth, our value, our, our security crumbles. And so I would just, Moving into yeah. the next mask. Okay, I'm done as an athlete. Uh, I don't know what to do. I don't have confidence. Let me go make money. Let me go be successful here. Let me learn this thing over here and make this a sport and yeah. get awards and accomplishments and get press and show people what I can create to get validation. Yeah. And so I wasn't consciously thinking like, what mask am I going to put on today? It was more, <laughs> I'm insecure. Yeah. I don't have self-worth right now. I'm yeah. putting on false confidence because I don't love myself. It really comes down to yeah. I don't accept and love who I am. Mm -hmm. And I haven't dealt with all the stuff inside from my past. It's really yeah. hard to move forward in a relationship uh, with anyone until you've cleared the past. Otherwise, you're going to bring that into the relationship, whether it be a business partnership, an intimate relationship. And that's when I started to do a lot of the healing process and, yeah. and I say a process because even though I feel like I've done a lot of work, it's probably going to be the rest of my life that I'm going to have to constantly be working on it. And yeah. new things and hurts come up every day, and it's a constant process. Yeah. But I, I, once, I realized, once I realized, oh, I'm wearing masks, that mm -hmm. awareness allowed me to take a step back and say, why am I doing this? What am I yeah. doing this for? Who am I trying to prove? Uh, to who am I trying to please? And I realized that I hadn't fully accepted myself with everything I'd been through, all the shame that I was holding on to. I was yeah. unable to share with other people who yeah. I truly was. And yeah. that shame was making me sick. And until I was able to get the sickness out by sharing, by doing healing process, essentially opening myself to the world and saying, this is who I am. Yeah. Uh, know everything about me. And then when I did that and people still liked me, I was like, oh, okay, I don't need to put on a mask to try to get people to accept me. I need to accept myself first. I feel like it's, it's always, I, I, I can connect, I can relate to this so much because you, and I don't think that we ever, not ever don't want to open up is like, it's just the fear of people not accepting and being, and liking you because I mean nobody it's not like people are, oh I don't like to be liked you know how a lot of like people say oh I like when people are like 
it, it drives me like athletes it drives me when people hate me I'm like okay really like just you can you can you can you can find that as a motivation but truly like I don't think anybody likes hate we all looking for acceptance for love for compassion and stuff nobody wants to be hated and and that drives you like I, I never I will never believe that uh, yeah. but I feel like it's it's just easier and and it's like when you especially when you're like in a relationship everybody is perfect for the first six months and then this starts to happen <laughs> and that mask and that mask comes off and 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 it's like um yeah well and when you talk about healing process you said something about um forgiving you know when you started to forgive people um and i have you know a little bit of a I don't know if it's the same or not. I just wanted to hear your opinion. Forgiving or letting go? What was... Because I think forgiving is more like... Um, I don't know. Maybe accepting to that you were hurt or you were a victim of, of a certain situation. And letting go is just letting go of the moment. So when I when I think about my some sort of my situations, I don't necessarily feel that... I'm forgiving the situation. I'm just letting it go. We will not have power over me. And I feel there is a bit of different distinction, but I don't know. I just wanted to hear uh, your opinion of that. Forgiveness I've always learned is, is not about the other person or the situation. It's about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when we learn to forgive, I'll give an example. You know, I was sexually abused when I was five and for a yeah. 20, 25 years, I held on to this shame and anger. Mm -hmm from this person, as I started to really yeah. realize like this person abused me, they took something from me. I was five, I didn't know what was happening. Like, it's mm -hmm. not okay. And I don't know, do you have a son? Yeah, and your I son have my son is almost four, yeah. So in a year and a half, you know, imagine that happening to your son. It's, it's heartbreaking as a mother, as a parent, right? Yeah. And as I look back, I, I think like, oh, all, a lot of these things that happened in my life because I was angry, I was defensive, and I stem it back to that as being the catalyst experience along with other things. But that thing really, you know, it messes with you psychologically and it takes time to heal and, and unwind that. And I have completely forgiven this person. I've never seen this person again. I don't even know if they're alive, uh, but I didn't do it for them. I didn't, I don't say I forgive you. It's okay what you did. Um, yeah. I say, I forgive you because I'm going to put myself in your shoes and realize that you had something messed up inside of you. There's something sickness inside of you. It's not okay. It's not acceptable, but I'm forgiving you for me because I want peace because holding on to anger and resentment makes me sick. It doesn't hurt you. It hurts me. Yeah. So this isn't okay. This is not acceptable. I don't wish this upon anyone, mm -hmm. but I'm forgiving you because I want to be free. When yeah. I hold on to resentments, it's similar to letting go. When I hold on to resentment and anger, I'm a prisoner of that person still. Yeah. When I let it go and forgive, I don't forget it, but I forgive. And I, and I forgive myself mostly for how I treated myself for the last, for 25 years after that, until I started to heal. I forgive yeah. myself for, for my behaviors, my reactions, my defensiveness. I forgive myself for the shame I held on to. Yeah. And that sets me free. So I don't have to put on a mask anymore. And the more I yeah. accept myself, the more authentic I am in the world. I think that that you're right in terms of forget you, you do 
do the forgiveness for yourself is you know and 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 the good point that um you know forgiving yourself for maybe certain you, you know like you think about like what you couldn't have done anything in that moment you're so vulnerable um to this moment where you feel like you've done something wrong because that had happened to you so that forgiveness is coming more you didn't do anything wrong that's more for you to understand that you were not the problem <laughs> you know like yeah. you were not the problem and i think a lot of times with we think like my in my personal situation i felt like i was in a horrible situation personally i've lived through hell for the last three years going through child custody battle and it's, it's just and it and it was so tough because i felt like i'm always a victim and on a surface level if i if i would tell the details maybe of the story you feel like holy sh that's that's messed up you know like that's messed up but it was only hurting me so i feel more like a victim i have i have no power of who i was and until i kind of no, i think i've understood that for a lot earlier but i felt it a lot later where i was yes. like okay now that's what it is like that's where the transformation kind of happens because not even for four months four months ago um five months ago i was depressed like de depressed is like i couldn't i didn't want to do anything i didn't know what what to, what to do with myself i was lost and and then some things you know happen and that's where what i learned from you for you was the the incident on the basketball court with yeah, exactly. with a with a fight um yeah. To, me up. Yeah, to me it was like few few different situations and one situation was actually I, I felt like I was so self-centered where I, I, um, my fitness coach had a birthday and I didn't know like I didn't know that because I didn't even bother to ask. It's all about, it's all about me. Yeah, me. it's all about me and we were in, in the grocery store and he bought a cake. And I was like, why are you buying a cake? He's like, it's my birthday. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, oh my Wake God. Up call. Yeah, that was one of like, and I was like, I literally, I, I cried in my, in my bathroom for an hour. And he actually doesn't know that because I felt so ashamed of myself. I was like, how can you be so like self-centered and just think about yourself where like things happen around, you know? And it's like, that's what I was saying, like a hammer like, until it hits you. And then you start to unravel and then it starts to be overwhelming where everything like comes and it's like and this thing and this thing and and this thing and 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 the healing process starts and it and i feel like it's it never really ends like you're right it never yeah. ends you just you just opening up like little things by little and um you said that you started to have like a, you heard you were talking about routine and one thing that we have in common is that I started to do my own bed. Yes. For, for, yeah. For the first time, because you know, changer. yeah. Also, like traveling in the hotel rooms. So nice. You just have one. Yeah, everything is made. You know, when you're with your parents, your parents don't see you for too long, so they <laughs> want to make everything for you. And then I was like, okay, let me start it. And it's so simple, but it's such 
it makes such a big difference. It's crazy. It's really yes. crazy. It and now like everywhere I go in the hotels, whatever, I always make my bed, and uh, it's 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 huge. So I wanted to ask you, what were your other like little routines? Was it like, okay, from today I'm gonna start doing this, this, and that, or was it like one routine and then you discovered something new, and then you discovered something new and discovered something new? Yeah, I'm always learning uh, from the people I interview, and you know, as an athlete, I did a lot of visualization. I remember making a visualization audio tape for myself when mm -hmm. I was 19. You know. Almost, yeah. almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago, and I was studying and doing alter ego training. I felt like I was studying what tennis players were doing. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a great tennis book on mindset out there as well that I, that I read. I've mm -hmm. always been obsessed with like, how do I get the edge? And I'm sure yeah. you have been as well. What's that little edge that I can beat out my competition? Because I didn't have the physical speed but I had great hands as a football player. I could catch, I had vision, I had toughness, but I wasn't the fastest. And so I had a disadvantage there. I had to have another edge and my mindset was what allowed me to focus on it. So there's only so much time in a morning that we could do a routine for, right? There's only so much that we could do. What I've realized that works for me, no matter if it was 20 years ago or now, is doing a workout in the morning typically makes me feel better throughout the day. It's like I release and detox anything that I need to let go of from the past night, any bad energy, I let it go and I can complete earlier in the day, the better. For me, a minimum of 10 minutes of isolation, calm, breathing, meditation, allows me to visualize the, my vision for the day and what I want to create and seeing the day before it happens in my mind. As an athlete, I'm sure you did this where you walk on the court. You'll see every shot as you go through it. Imagine yourself scoring, winning. I'm assuming you've done something like that in the past. Yeah. And I'll do that for my day to day where I'll say, okay, mm -hmm. what is the main priority who do I need to call? What's my schedule? I'm interviewing. It's imagining the results I want to create. But something I also started to do is imagining the worst case scenario. How am I going to react and respond when someone pisses me off, when someone steals from me, when someone screws me over, when someone cuts me off in the car? Am I going to be reactive fight or flight brain or am I going to not let them have power over me and come from a place of responsibility and moving on to the next thing? So I think meditation working out for me are, are two mandatory things in the morning for a routine. Making your bed is a third. I just feel like something about that two to three minutes of making your bed when you get back home at night and, and also just having a clean space in general. When you yeah. come back, you a cluttered space is a cluttered mind. Clean space yeah. is a clear mind. Um, those three things I'm really a big fan of. Some type of workout, some type of meditation making your bed of course you know i do different nutritional things right now i do mostly intermittent fasting so i'm just drinking water and kind of like a bulletproof coffee if you want to eat some fruit in the beginning in the morning cool but i think if you do those three things um you should be set up for a pretty solid day yeah and it was it was one of my questions i've heard you talk about and you just mentioned that meditating with um kind of picturing what negative things can happen and how you're going to react to that and that was that was i had a little 
hard time processing that like just just because i is imagining because i do i do meditation as well and uh i was just like thinking my the way what helps me is like just a clear space like i actually do not want to think about what's what's going to happen i just kind of like want to enjoy the moment and the hardest thing is is like to be in the moment like it's just to yes. kind of just stay here so i consciously try to make that exercise for myself to not go there and on the court and i think when you mentioned about being an athlete and uh and doing visualizations is like you create a certain reality and then i feel like i'm not i found for myself i don't enjoy the moment when it happens as much you know so I try to like just feel like okay whatever is going to happen you do your preparation and you have thoughts and of course you 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 have to do all this but I I do this conscious effort of being trying to enjoy that the moment like what's going to happen so yeah. it was it was interesting to hear um you know the the different way of um of approaching especially sure. like the negative part and I feel like it's it's, it's an exercise right and I'm not thinking of the future of the whole meditation it's a moment in the meditation where i am being present yeah. focusing on now clearing mm -hmm. the mind and then towards the end i'm like what do i want to create mm -hmm. and, and if something goes wrong how do i want to show up what type of leader do i want to be for myself what will make me proud at the end of today if things go exactly the way as planned better than planned or they don't go as planned at all what will i be proud of when i go to bed in the bed that i made this morning yeah what will I be proud of no matter what happens? And I think I'm always trying to evolve as a human being to thinking, yeah, I want great things to happen for myself every day and I want to be successful. Uh, but I think we, we learn more about ourselves in these extreme adversities or challenges. You know, you probably learn more in the last five months than you learn when you're winning. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself. You're, you ask, have a lot more questions. It, it shows you your weaknesses where you need to work towards. And you either get to rise to that challenge and learn and grow, or you stay in that depressed state. And so I think those moments, it's not fun as they are, I think they prepare us for something greater. I believe that I personally don't, don't learn from winning at all. I think it's hard you, to learn when I, everything's going right. Yeah, like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm the best. Yeah, like I'm doing everything great. And then, you know, a lot of times in like interviews, people like only re because of the result, uh, if you create a certain result, people think that everything was great, you know, like everything worked out perfectly, everything that. But it's not true. Even to a great result, there's still a journey of bumps, you know, and, and falls and everything. And you don't you don't go there by just you know everything smooth that's you know once in a while that does happen where you feel like everything is so aligned and it's perfect and whatever but it doesn't happen often and i don't think that when things for me personally when things comes easy it's not fun like i feel like you always want to feel accomplished and learn you don't gotta make it harder for yourself which we do <laughs> which we do a lot of times i think especially athletes i feel like Especially as an athlete, you know, when you're successful, obviously that brings ego bigger, you know, it helps it grow and whatever. And what do you feel there's ways um, that ego benefits you and or more days that it harms you? Because I feel for myself, 
when anything ego operating is harmful for me because I don't believe that ego makes you successful. Um, a lot of people say it's like a motivational th- motivation that helps you strive and be perfectionist, whatever. For me personally, it always feel like it was more of a harm way. Maybe I just haven't learned the way how to manage my ego yet. <laughs> But every time I feel like, oh my God, like aware about my ego now, it's like, okay, I, I say the good day for the um, good day for your soul is a bad day for your ego, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So, um, yeah. So that is like, I'm consciously like, I know, okay, even like on the court, I noticed that like, I've done this shadow, I've done this, oh, this was like, your ego is talking, it's not, it's not really what you, what you're supposed to do. So what do you, what is it for you? Or what is it like, from a lot of people that you've met with? Um, how do you how do you see that? Yeah, I think uh, you got to have a healthy relationship with your ego and being aware of it is, is key. And knowing, um, what you're using it for and the negative effects that it could have. Because my entire life until I turned 30, I lived by the desire to prove everyone wrong. Prove, yeah. prove the person who sexually abused me wrong, parents wrong, whatever. Like the kids in school that laughed at me, I was like, I'm going to prove these kids wrong. My ego was in control. My ego was taking the actions to create skill sets, to create strength, power, to succeed, to win, so that I, my ego could say, ha, 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 I proved you wrong. Yeah. Every time I'd achieve some accomplishment driven by ego, I would be unhappy, unsatisfied, depressed almost within minutes after accomplishing the biggest accomplishments of my sports career. And I'd be like, why am I so unhappy? Well, I guess it's not a big enough dream. I need to go bigger. And I would keep going to the next level and still not be happy because I was driven to prove everyone wrong. I think there's something said for like having a chip on your shoulder and, and having like motivation. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when it's all based on ego, it's going to hurt you and make you just unhappy. So you just have to figure out what that is. There's a, there's a story. I don't know if you've heard this story. Um, And I don't know if this is 100% true, but the story goes, uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, back in Roman times, he hired an assistant to follow him to walk through the Roman town square. I don't know if you know the story. And the ass- no, Marcus Aurelius was such, so powerful at the time, right? He was like yeah. ruler, powerful, all this money, everything. He's a god. And he hired an assistant to walk through with him. And every time Marcus Aurelius was being praised, walking through his empire, um, he had the assistant just whisper in his ear, you're just a man. And would say it over and over, you're just a man. You're just a man. When everyone's like, you're a god, you're amazing. You're just a man. You're just a man. Yeah. And I think we need those people in our corner, whether that's your friends and family that know you from back in the day before you were rich and famous and number one, whatever it is, We need that constant reminder. Otherwise, our ego will get the best of us. And that's why I surround myself with quality people that I've known for 20 years that know me before I had anything and continue to remind me. You know, they elevate me and support me, but also they don't let my head get into it too much. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's helpful for me to have more peace in my heart. I always feel when, when you do get that, you don't need a lot of people like that, just maybe a few. Just a couple, one or But, two, yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's real wealth. 
Like when you have that, that's yeah. for me, that's real, real wealth. That means like, because once you start to be successful, there are so many people around you. There's so many, you know, things that, that praise you. And sometimes you don't have somebody who says you're just a man, right? It's just like yeah, constant. You're just a woman. Yeah, yeah you're just, you're just, uh, yeah, just, just, just be humble. <laughs> so I feel like it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a balance that we, we all um, neither. Yeah. I, was I was talking to a friend of mine actually last night about this. He is a very rich human being. He's a venture capitalist. He invests in companies that sell for billions and he's healthy. He's happy. He's got all these things. And he's like, I just feel like something's missing. Something's missing because sometimes I ask myself, why do I deserve all this? When there's so much suffering in the world, there's so much problems in the world. Why do I deserve like, all this financial abundance and wealth and I'm happy, I'm healthy, I've got good relations, my kids are happy. Like, I feel like I should feel bad. And I said, mm -hmm. listen, the only thing you should feel bad about is if you abuse what you have, if you take advantage of it and you take advantage of other people. And I said, you'll feel less bad the more you are in service. And as an athlete, I used to say that my mission was to inspire people on the football field or the court. Like it was my artistic expression to give people, to entertain them, but also to show them what's possible in their own life. I don't know if you feel this way. Like when we're down and we come from behind and we can give someone that moment of, wow, that was an incredible play. I'm going to go do something in my life with my family. I'm going to go chase this thing. That was my mission. That was my way of serving people through my expression. And I think about that now as my business is my art form and my expression. I think, okay, what are we doing to help people? How are we serving people? How are we inspiring people in our own way now? And that's what I said to my friend. I said, you know, you got to think of a way. How can you now contribute more to other people? You've got an abundance of money. Like you're set for generations. You got to think about how can you pay it forward? How can you pay it back? How can you give and contribute? You won't feel as bad about it. Yeah, you can't take it with you. Like you can't take it with you. So exactly, but it, it is true, and I think you know when, especially when you're a public figure, I think a lot of times you don't realize the impact that you can have on somebody that you've never met before that you don't know about in your life and for me it was like a, one of the moments that i realized that when i became a mom and i've kind of started going still after my dreams you know after going back and playing tennis and and that like i've got so much response of other women they're like oh i want to do the same and then it got it made me think like how much that can be impactful so is realizing how you can use that power that you have in, in a good use, right? Yeah. So that's, and that's a bigger goal because you have, you know, we all want to be, you know, um, healthy, happy, you know, we don't want to uh, be uh, worried about your kids, you know, and, and yourself, where you got to sleep, where you got to eat. That whole package is like essential, but then there's always a bigger goal. Like, what are you going to do? to kind of fulfill your soul because those things are fulfilling for your body right for for your needs and then what how do you, can you fulfill your soul with and i don't think there's a better way than inspiring and helping other people and part of part of this 
show was for me to kind of, I love to understand people's stories. Like one of my favorite things I used to do, I would go to a place where I don't know nobody, nobody knows me. And I would just go and find out like people's stories, meet different people, learn, learn about them. It's, it's the most fascinating thing for me and like connection that you can have from one person to another person yeah. and inspiring others with like the platform that you have um, is, is just a bigger purpose. For exactly. Me. I agree. I, and you're going back to continue to play after things open up more or- well, yep. we have kind of been playing yeah. uh, bubble in the bubble. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we are, I mean, the tournaments are starting. I'm, I'm in Czech Republic now, actually for the tournament. This is my last tournament of the season. But Louis, I know you have to go soon, but I want to, I end up my show with like a couple of uh, questions. We already talked about a lot, but I feel like this few questions going to get, help me to get to cool. know you a little bit. Um, a little bit better. They're very simple. So do you mind if I ask you some of those? Go for it. Okay. So what is your favorite word? Love. What is your least favorite word? Can't. What is one profession that besides what you do now, you would like to <laughs> do? I know. I think I know the answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell I mean, I would love to be an athlete my entire life. If I could just play sports and get an impact to people on a platform at a level that I want to, I would do that. But my, uh, you know, I'm just getting older now and I, there's only so many things I can play at a high level internationally, competitively. And so I think it's just like, there's nothing greater than being an athlete, but it just takes so much physical demand and commitment that it's a full-time thing uh but if i could do something else i've already done that and doing what i'm doing if i could do anything else i'll tell you what like something about being a singer on a stage just <laughs> writing songs singing to people having people sing song your songs back to you i feel like something i've never done i think it'd be you know really cool to do one uh profession that you would never want to do uh, I don't know. I mean, somebody, I wouldn't want to do anything that I wouldn't be passionate about. And How about president? <laughs> I just feel like there's a lot of pressure there. A lot of weight, a lot of, pressure, a lot of pressure. Part of me is like, I don't even know if that's something I would want, but if it is in 30 years or something, is it even going to be fun? Cause there's just going to be so much hate against you. Like, do I want to live with everyone trying to hate me for just to say I was president? Like, I don't know if it's worth it. So things would have to change for that to happen for me to be even yeah. interested in the, the potential of thinking about it. So, <laughs> okay. Um, what is uh, one, like what, what quality attracts you um, with people? Um, integrity when someone shows up and and does their work and just it's like when you never played a team sport i don't know maybe you did when you were younger but in football you know we got 11 guys on the field at a time mm -hmm. and the main thing that the coach would say is do your job and when you try to start doing everyone else's job you mess up your job mm -hmm. 
And but when you can't rely on someone else, then the team doesn't doesn't succeed. So being able to rely on someone because they do their job, whatever that role is in that moment, like they say what they're they do what they say they're gonna do, you can trust them. I feel like that's that's how you can build a great team. And that's how you can yeah. build a great life with a great team. You can't do it alone. Even as a tennis player, you cannot do it alone. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Okay, what is the one quality that puts you off? Just rudeness. I think when people are rude and they are, have a big ego like we talked about, um, mm -hmm. I would say that the opposite would be compassion. Someone who's just compassionate, it turns me on as well. It's just like yeah. when someone has accomplished the greatest things, but they're kind to someone that can't do anything for them for me is a great quality, but those who have done great things and are mean or rude to people that can do nothing for them, that turns me off. Yeah. Okay, and the last question is, um, if you arrive at the pearly gates, let's say God exists, um, and you arrive at the pearly gates, what would you want God to tell you? Uh, you did a good job. Okay. You, sh you showed up, you maximized your talents with what I gave you. You did more than I thought. And uh, I'm proud of you. Good. Well, that's, that's the questions I have for you. So Amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for being on my show. It was uh, a lot of fun for me to get to know you and see your perspective of things. I'm going to continue watching your videos. I love watching your podcast. It's really fun and very educational. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And hopefully I get to watch you in a, a tournament sometime soon, maybe Australian open or Indian Wells in March. I would love that. Thank you so much. Louis. It was such pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Think About It. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. This will help us to know what maybe other topics you guys want to hear or how you like the show so we can improve. This will be really, really appreciated. I'll be talking more about this podcast over on my Instagram, so please come and join the conversation with me there. Thank you.